Hello, this is Michael Molnar. Welcome to Blazing Trails. In this podcast, we will shine a spotlight on the innovative practices of educators in the Lynn Public Schools. Each episode will focus on our own educators who are working to provide instruction that is responsive to the strengths and needs of our students. The podcast is called Blazing Trails because these are people who are on a journey forward on a path that is being made even as they're walking on it. We'll get to hear from them and learn from their insights and experiences. In this episode, I have the opportunity to talk with Jennifer Olson. Jennifer is a seventh grade science teacher at Pickering Middle School, and she's been teaching for eight years. We talk about her work as a science teacher, how she came to work in Lynn, and her journey so far with blended learning and the Modern Classroom Project. We also talk about how she's used this as an opportunity to really build up relationships between her students and with her students. Hi, Jennifer. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what your position currently is and how you ended up here in Lynn? I am Jennifer Olson. I currently teach seventh grade science at Pickering. Um, so it's my second year. Um, I did teach six years of math before that in sixth and seventh grade. And I ended up just, I was, I had started my master's um, and I put my resume out there and I got a phone call for an interview. Um, it was one of two interviews that I went to and I decided to go with the public school instead of the other option that I had. Um, and I've been here ever since. Well, welcome to Lynn. We're happy to have you. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your initial connection to Modern Classroom? And then what prompted you to participate in the virtual mentorship course? I had first heard about the Modern Classroom during our remote year, um, 2020, and just I saw a video on social media um, through Edutopia. And then I had also heard about it at a school committee meeting. A couple teachers were talking about their use of it. Um, and it sounded to me like a really good option as a teacher who felt like I was always struggling with getting all the students where they needed to be at the same time. So I was very excited when I heard that Lynn was going to be offering the virtual mentorship program for teachers who wanted to do it. So I, I was ready to jump right in um, for that opportunity to change up my classroom and my instruction. And what was that experience like working with a mentor? Um, it was great. I mean, they modeled the the mentorship program, exactly how you would model your class. Um, they left it open to what you pick what works for you, just like, you know, we can give those students the opportunity to pick what works for them for showing what they know. Um, the mentor was great because I had not only the deadlines that helped me stay focused, um, the work I was doing was going to be used for my classroom. So it was all worthwhile. Um, and the feedback that I received was amazing. The even though you know I mastered each standard or each requirement, the mentor still gave me feedback. She gave me additional resources, um, so I felt like I could really pick and choose what would work best for my classroom. So I was very happy to have that guided session before I reached out and started it on my own. Now, so you're, you're still fairly early on in all this. What have you seen as an impact on your students so far? Um, having gone through 
a whole half of a unit so far that's formally, you know, or officially modern classrooms. I have noticed my students know exactly the routine. They know how to find what activity they're on since the students are completing things at their own pace. It did take a while, so I was nervous that I was always going to have to be reminding students how to find the work or how to find which um, activity to open up. But they're starting to get the hang of it. And I have been able to have small groups with the students who need to revise something. So not just the students who are behind, but also the students who are moving ahead and need to go back and revise something. Um, so that additional time and that flexibility to meet with who I need to um, has been a game changer. Um, the student, the student's ability to find things on their own has been awesome. They're helping each other find what they need. So those are kind of the three biggest things that I've noticed. One of the things that people, you know, play around with in the very beginning is an, is figuring out what their system is going to be to track the progress for their students. And you were alluding to that a little bit about helping kids know who's where, how do they find things. Can you describe what, what you're landing on currently as a progress tracker? Yes, I did. I tried one that was, they called it an auto tracker and it would update for me, but I didn't like how it would automatically change things. I liked having some control. So right now it's just a simple PowerPoint slide with every student's first name and then the lesson that they're on. And then the other half of the slide is um, a reminder of what lesson is behind on pace or ahead of pace. And then I have a little section with due dates or suggested due dates, I guess, you know, with a heads up if there's going to be an entire class activity or a test coming up, they can see the deadline for that. Um, I include stars of the day. So if a student stands out for whatever reason, um, I'll just put their name up there and, you know, what, what made them stand out. Um, some students will nominate each other. So it kind of gets them a little motivated. Some of them will purposely help each other. So even though it's not the biggest thing, that little recognition, I think some of the kids appreciate, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, and that's a good thing. So it's been working. Some teachers have expressed that they felt it would be awkward for the kids if they saw where they stood in relation to the other kids. That hasn't been an, um, an issue for, for you? That was something that I when I learned about modern classrooms and I learned about the progress tracker, I was initially hesitant. That was one thing that I didn't think I would do. And I decided to just go for it. And I did get the feedback kind of just informally from a student saying that they didn't like, there was one column that said if they were ahead on pace or behind pace, and they didn't like that it said behind pace. Um, and that was at the beginning when my dates didn't really match up with the amount of time it would take. So pretty much everybody was behind pace because I didn't really have it quite set up um, or planned far enough ahead to know what it would do, what it would take. Um, so the way I have it set up now is everyone just has the lesson number that they're on and they can see if it's ahead on or behind pace, but it's not highlighted in any way um, to single them out. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, instructional videos, how you go about creating them, what tools you might use, any lessons you've learned along the way? 
that's one that I'm still, you know, making tweaks as I go, as I get more used to making the videos. I have found that Screencast-O-Matic is the tool that I like the best. Through the Modern Classrooms Mentorship Program, I did get the unlimited timing and um, I can also edit my videos. So that was a benefit of doing the program. Um, so I've kind of stuck with that tool. And I, instead of doing, let's say, an Edpuzzle or a Nearpod, which I will filter in with other videos that I find, my instructional videos go along with a set of guided notes. Um, so students know to complete that. They have to watch the video and fill out the information to go along with it. And that's a minimum before they can do anything else in the lesson. You know, one of my things that I'm working on is keeping my videos under five minutes. That's kind of my personal thing that I'm working on. Um, but the kids have been really awesome about knowing how to how to watch the video and what's best for them. Because I give them the option between taking the notes digitally, and that helps students who might lose the papers, um, or taking the notes on paper so they can make the video full screen and not have to switch back and forth. So it's been another differentiation that I am able to do now that I wasn't able to do before. I'm just curious, what percentage of the kids prefer to have the paper pencil version of the guided notes and how many like the uh, electronic version? I would say it's probably around 25%. I don't make any more than 25 copies of any paper unless I want the entire class on paper. It's 25 or less of the students who really want, want it on paper. The rest of them have been really good about getting comfortable with the online or the digital version. I would so much be that kid that wants it on paper. I just mm -hmm. like to have the feel of that paper, but that's fantastic that yeah. just a simple accommodation like that or a simple option opens up a whole new door for kids. That's yeah, great. It's one less obstacle. I feel like when you do your guided notes, so you do that in place of embedding questions within the video. Correct. Yes. And so you find that that's a very helpful way to keep the kids focused and making sure that they're pulling from the video exactly what you want them to. Correct. Yeah. Um, that, that was something I went back and forth on. Um, and it may be something I experiment with down the road, but for now it's been working very well. What about mastery checks? That's something that um, can be a little bit tricky in the very beginning also. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. how you're approaching mastery checks and what things you've learned along the way. I started naming mastery checks, mastery checks, and I polled my students and they preferred exit ticket. So, you know, that's a term they're more used to in their other classes. So I decided to stick with that. But to check mastery, I will make a Schoology assessment with the questions. The majority of them will be graded automatically. So the students can go right in, see their results. And I, this is another thing I've been playing with. I give them a second attempt um, with no other restrictions. I give them a second attempt. And if they need more than two attempts to get mastery, they have to meet with me because I have to give them, you know, access to the assessment again. So I do like that it stops them after two. However, with the digital mastery, I've noticed that some will sneak and look things up online or ask or do it along with their neighbor. And I even have had feedback from some students that wish they had mastery checks on paper so that they wouldn't be tempted to do that. So that's something I'm working with going forward. I may do paper-based mastery checks 
I have to grade it. So, you know, I have to play around with how much time it will take, you know, grading wise and checking in with students on other things. But that may be a change that I need to make to ensure that each student is getting the feedback that they need if they're not mastering. So it's always a process. Everything is always yes. developing. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the small groups that you said you, when, when you were describing it earlier, you said that, you know, depending where kids were at, you're able to pull some kids and have them be in a small group. As a science teacher at the middle school level, have small group instruction been a piece of what you've done in the past, or is that fairly new for you? And then how do you get it? How do you leverage things with this approach to be able to pull off the small groups? I've So I've used small groups um, throughout, even as a math teacher, I did it um, last year when we were remote. It was my first year doing science and I would do small breakout groups to check in with students. And I would, you know, post if I needed to, I would post their names if I knew in advance. So-and-so is going to check in with me and then you c- I'll release you back to your group to you know, continue working. Um, So sometimes it is formal, I'll plan it in advance. And other times I'll go, you know, I can even look at my progress tracker, all of these students need to revise a certain lesson. So I can check in with them all at once, instead of feeling like I need to jump around to every student individually. And when I have them kind of together, then that also gives them the opportunity to see what each other is doing when they don't usually get that opportunity. So one of the things that you had said that you're excited about is um, how you're able to really cultivate and build up relationships with the students and between students. And I think that's very interesting because I think one of the fears that people have or one of the misconceptions they have about doing something with blended learning or the modern classroom is that kids are sitting in front of a computer screen the entire time and everything is individualized. And so I'm really excited to hear your your thoughts and, and what you've noticed about developing that sense of community. Yeah, I've noticed it kind of in two ways. So student to student, I will plan activities where they can work with a partner. Um, Certainly when they're taking the notes, they can help each other out. And I have seen a lot of that. Um, So that's been nice. Um, And it gives students, you know, there's a little bit of a release of you have to sit here and do this quietly while the teacher talks. You know, they can have little side conversations and it's okay. Um, And then on the other hand, I have more opportunity to talk to them about what's going on with them, whether it's related to science or whether it's something, you know, that's just weighing on their mind or a story they just want to tell me. Honestly, you know, I can take that time with them while everyone else is working and being productive and, you know, be that listening ear and then give them the encouragement to keep on going. So I felt like I'm much more connected to my students than I ever have been. That's fantastic. Now, are there any other colleagues in your building who've also been going through the modern classroom that you've been teaming up with at all? Or As far as I know, I was the only one who did the formal mentorship program from Pickering. But I, I know my coworkers are trying you know, bits and pieces of the blended learning model and the modern classroom tenets. And some of them are doing the mentorship program now. So it'll be exciting when they finish and I can kind of see what things they've brought into their classrooms. Hopefully they, you know, hopefully they want to come see mine and we can share ideas that way. Because it's not just content, it's 
kind of systems and structures that are put in place that we can all learn from. What are some go-to resources for you professionally besides modern classroom, just in general? Oh, one that I spent a lot of time on, especially last year, was PBS Learning Media. They have so many resources and uh, great videos, great discussion questions, even some interactives that have been very awesome. Um, as a science teacher and GSS phenomena, there's just some cool GIFs of videos or you know cool science things that get kids to go wow and then start asking questions, which is you know what we want them to do, of course. Those are the those are the two biggest ones. I can't think of any more off the top of my head, but what are your hopes for yourself for the rest of the school year and as you're thinking about next school year? I am thinking I know not every unit will be able to do modern classroom. I remember one of the first things I learned was that it takes 2 to 3 years or longer to feel like you've fully implemented it. So I'm going to try to be gracious to myself in terms of some lessons, some units being traditional, some being modern. Um, but going forward, I hope to take what I developed this year and just improve it and make it better. And I'm very excited to see how even students maybe in sixth grade this year, hearing some of the language around you know, must-dos and should-dos and aspire-to-dos and revising your work um, and, you know, already knowing that and coming in next year and kind of being able to keep rolling with that. So I hope I get to do some of that. And what questions should I have asked you that I have not asked you yet? Oh, that's the toughest one. Let's see. Oh, well, so one thing that I... I guess you should have asked, what else am I doing um, that has kind of been working? A uh, modern classroom, I guess it was just another teacher that, you know, shared it through modern classrooms, which I think is great because it's it's such a community that people are just sharing. You know, I use this. Here's a template. Use it for your classroom. Um, one of those things is TA for a day. And depending on if a student is making progress, they, I, you know, they have to be on pace or ahead of pace. They can be my TA. So if a student is stuck on the notes or on an activity, and I might be checking in with another student, the TA can go around and answer their questions. Um, and it gives them, even if they're not helping students the entire class, because they still have their own things to do. It gives them a sense of pride. And I have some students that ask specifically to be the TA. So in, in addition to the star of the day, the TA for the day is something that has kind of helped, I feel like, highlight the students that, I don't know, deserve to be recognized for their leadership in the classroom. And you said that you got that from a the, the modern classroom community? Like what was the context for how you got that idea? It was either through the free course or the mentorship course and just going through one of the modules, you know, throughout, they just, they shower you with, here's an example or an exemplar of what another teacher is doing. So I click, you know, here and there, and this one stood out to me. And then I didn't use it until my mentor actually reminded me of it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to print it out and just see how it works. And some classes latch on to it or, and need it and benefit from it more than others. But it's there, you know, for whenever I need it. 
Jennifer, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time that you took for this. And I appreciate, well, one, your willingness to take time and to share your journey that you're on with all of this. And I just super excited about what's going on over there. I can't wait for more teachers at Pickering to be coming on board with you, these new people that are going through so that you've got other colleagues to bounce ideas off of and everything. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'm very excited too. Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Blazing Trails. A big thank you to Jennifer for making herself available for this podcast and for sharing her journey with us so far. If you'd like to connect with Jennifer, you can reach her at her LPS email address, alsonj at linschools.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or would like to know how you can get a Lynn scholarship for the Modern Classrooms course, you can email me, Michael Molnar, at molnarm at linschools.org. Thank you.